Welcome to Let's Talk Microfinance, the podcast aimed at professionals in financial inclusion. My name is Guy Rodwell, co-founder of Financial Due Diligence Associates, of which more at the end. We invite fascinating speakers from across the industry to share their extraordinary insights into the fast-changing world of microfinance and fintech. Hope you enjoy the program. But yeah, I would say that because of, again, Dave 2 got hit, there are few challenges, but I'm sure the industry will sail through. So given the way the pace of vaccination and economic activities going back on. So we all keep hearing these stories of equity funding that banks are scouting for acquisition opportunities in this space. All of these together are really positive sign and it indicates that the microfinance business is here to stay long and contribute to the rural growth space. It gives me great pleasure to introduce Sahib Sharma. He is in the Investor Relations and Communications Department at Credit Access Grameen in India which is, of course, the largest MFI in India with a market capitalization over 100 billion rupees or roughly $1.4 billion, operating in a market which is the largest microfinance market in the world. We're going to go into uh, detail about the current situation in that market. Now, uh, Sahib has acted as a consultant and journalist in microfinance in India, Cambodia, Myanmar and Sri Lanka for institutions such as MKRIL, where he was an analyst, HG Mint, where he was a financial journalist, and he ran a consultancy which engaged with policymakers and developed business in Myanmar. His expertise is very varied. It includes financial analysis, due diligence, industry intelligence, stakeholder management and report writing. And he was educated at the Gokhal Institute of Politics and Economics and the Delhi College of Arts and Commerce. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce Sahib. Welcome. Thank you, Mr. Rodwell, for inviting me to this podcast. It gives me great pleasure to share my insights on the microfinance space, and hopefully I'll be able to give meaningful explanation to our audience. Wonderful. Okay. So, Sahib, could you please kick off by giving a sort of background to how you got into microfinance, why you're interested in it, where you started, and what you do today? What is your current role in the microfinance sector? So, my first stint in my career was with Mint Newspaper, which is the leading newspaper of India, and I was working there as a financial journalist. And uh, my very much first story was about microfinance growth in India. And from there on, the journey began where I learned about this model in India, looking at the way it has been adopted and what it started as a Grameen model in Bangladesh. I was really thrilled by it. And while I was working with Mint, side by side, I used to read more about Asian microfinance experience and worldwide. I decided to cover this sector in more detail, understand nuances. And therefore, I went to MKRIL to join there, covering various Asian markets across Sri Lanka, Myanmar, Cambodia. Therein, I executed assignments ranging from ratings, CPP certifications. From there on, I got an opportunity to work with a consultancy firm based out of Yongan, where I used to execute assignments and also do business development activities, engaging with policymakers. And from there, since uh, the Myanmar situation got deteriorated, I decided to stay back in India and joined Credit Access Grameen, which is the largest MFI. And herein, I am looking at, uh, I'm working in the Investor Relations and Communications Department. This is on the background of my consultancy and journalism experience. It's a blend of both, looking to enhance the investor mileage. Right. Okay. And can you just describe sort of what you do for Credit Access uh, Grameen in particular? I believe you talk to investors a lot, you, you talk to journalists, and you're communicating the message of Credit Access Grameen. But can you maybe elaborate on exactly what you do, please? 
So uh, there are multiple roles, right, ranging from engaging with investors on a day-to-day basis, giving them updates about the Indian market, especially after COVID waves, what is happening on the collection sea, what is happening at the ground level. Also working on the quarterly presentation, since it's a listed entity, we have to report every quarter our results. So I work on that. We do peer tracking analysis. And also I look at the communications department along with other team members wherein we uh, work on what right message needs to be sent across the media and even in the international markets through our LinkedIn's or other social channels. Okay, wonderful. As I mentioned, we start with a review of the sector from your personal point of view, from your vantage point. Looking at the, the largest market, obviously, India, you know, we've seen a very dramatic spike in PARS, which uh, took place uh, beginning really in September 2020, for obvious reasons, COVID, etc. Where if you look at the industry trends as presented by MFIN, PARS were kind of moving around the 2% level, PAR 30s moved up to 4%, spiked all the way up to 13%, dipped a bit in March 2021, and then really saw quite a dramatic increase in June 2021, where they reached uh, about 15.5%. Obviously, not so bad for PAR 60 or PAR 90, but still, it seems as though you know we've moved on to a, a sort of relatively high level with PAR 60 at 6% and uh, PAR 90 at uh, 2.8%. What I noted was that in the case of Credit Access Grameen, the PAR trend has been uh, somewhat better. Can you talk about, number one, loan quality, and then number two, the outlook for the industry plus Credit Access Grameen's gross loan portfolio GLP growth going forward? Just to give you a perspective, since you spoke about the PAR 30 and PAR 90 numbers, how they moved inched up, especially after September 2020, when the lockdown was announced in March 2020, the central bank was diligent enough to give a moratorium to microfinance borrowers. So a three-month moratorium was provided, and that was a blanket uh, moratorium given. Post that, another three-month moratorium was again provided, but this time it was more on a need-to-need basis, understanding that in few districts, the cases are lower compared to another district. So looking at that situation, that onus was on the institutions, whether they want to give moratorium, and of course, depending on the borrower's capacity to repay. So since it was a moratorium, the power levels were constant, right, as compared to end of March levels. But as, again, in September, October, when it began, when it started, of course, the power levels started inching up. The economic development activities started to take place slowly and steadily. And we saw that industry started going back on track. But again, what happened was that we were stuck by wave two. You gave me power numbers. If I talk about collection efficiency numbers, right? Yes. The yes. collection efficiency numbers uh, took a hit. By 2020, June 2020, it was 40-50%. By December 2020, when the things started moving up, the economy opened, it went up till 90%, right? Okay. It was inching back to pre-COVID levels, but unfortunately, wave two hit, which yes. nobody anticipated. So in May 2021, efficiency fell to 30%. But it has bounced back quickly in June, July. So what I'm trying to make sense, telling that you are absolutely right, that power levels, whether 90, 60, they inched up, they moved back. And again, henceforth, the story, the trajectory is there. But we need to realize that instead of power, we should look at credit cost, which is a better measurement. Power is there at a point of time. If I do a write-off, that power figure will get masked, Right. But credit cost, which is a combination of provisions plus write-off, would give me a better measurement. And what industry experts and everyone has been saying 
that going forward, if uh, unfortunately this COVID persists for long, the industry will see a credit cost between five to ten percent of lips. You spoke about Credit says Grameen that it has fared better than the industry. There are a couple of reasons for that. One being that at point of time when the lockdown was announced, Credit Access gave extensive training to its loan officers to make them understand that how we need to deal with clients at this point of time, right? We understand this is an unprecedented situation, which is not in anyone's control, right? And also what we did in particular that we updated the mobile number database for all of customers to ensure we are in touch with them. So for an example, if a loan officer handles 400 to 500 clients on an average, at that point of time that when field visits were prohibited, the whole task was that that you need to engage with the clients, understand their situation, learn about their well-beings, about their family members. So I think that was a very important point what we did. This is more or going beyond transactions, right? We need to understand these borrowers. In typical microfinance pair, the business, we all know that it is an unsecured business, right? It's an unsecured. What it is backed, it is backed by social collateral. And there is no tangible asset involved. But the empirical evidence has again and again time and tested, told us that the social collateral far outweighs any tangible collateral. And in Credit Access Grameen, apart from keeping in touch with the clients, our business model is designed in such a manner that we engage with our clients more frequently. So for an example, to give you a perspective, out of our 3 million customers, I'm talking about standalone Credit Access, not the Madura microfinance, which we have acquired. For Credit Access Grameen, 55% of the borrowers fall under weekly repayment cycle. 39% fall under fortnightly and 5 or 6% fall under monthly. So we understand that what the customer's business cycle is, what is their schedule of their cash flows and accordingly offer them the repayment schedule so that they are also comfortable with that. Most of the clients, they prefer weekly cycle, right? Because EMIs are lower, engagements are more. So this weekly culture has really helped us to understand them better and uh, be in touch with them more. So there are a combination of factors which has helped credit access fare better than the others. So Hib, um, very interesting. Thank you for that. Can you just maybe give us a view of what you think has occurred in the last uh, quarter ending in September and what you think is likely to be the movement in coming months and, and quarters for the industry as a whole and for credit access grooming, some kind of outlook view? So we have seen that uh, in Q1 FI22, especially I can talk about credit access grooming and even the industry, it did saw a fall in the portfolio. That was because the COVID-2 was hit in May. And as a result, in later half of the May to June, July, the disbursement took a pause. And that is where the gross loan portfolio has fell. But in Q2, what we saw, the economy activities again started happening, took a normal pace. And as a result, the portfolio has increased. Going forward, if wave three doesn't hit us, the way the vaccination rate has taken place in the country, more than 70% of the population has been given the first jab. I think we can see normal back growth rate in the industry. So basically, you're saying that um, Q2 financial year 22, which just to be clear, is basically from uh, June to September, you think that there has been a pickup. And you think that um, basically with a with higher vaccination rates, you're going to start seeing a more sustained recovery into this quarter, so the September to December quarter. 
Right. Just to give you a few numbers, last year in the pandemic hit year, yes, the industry grew by eleven point nine percent, while credit access Grameen grew by close to fifteen percent, excluding write off. We need to note that last year we only had five months of business in place, right? Okay. This year, barring three months of wave two hit, if we get nine months of business, I'm sure the industry will do far better than last year. So, I mean, in summary, you could basically say probably the worst, and barring a new wave which people can't forecast. Probably the worst is over for COVID. Is that a fair thing to say? Right. Yeah. Okay. So can you maybe pivot a little bit to funding conditions? So funding conditions for the industry and funding conditions for credit access Grameen, which is to say in terms of um, microfinance investment vehicles, development finance institutions, MIVs and DFIs, the availability of credit, et cetera. How easy has it been for you to secure funding in the recent environment? And what's the outlook for that? Talking about Credit Access Grameen being the largest MFI, we are very comfortable on the liquidity front. We have over INR 3,000 crore or $0.4 billion undrawn sanctions from various lenders. In addition to that, we have a capital adequacy of 28.6% on a consolidated level. So looking at these two factors, we are well placed for next six months of this financial year. We recently raised our first foreign currency external commercial borrowings from Swedfund, which was worth $25 million. And it is in line with our ESG commitment. Because of the wave two and probable wave three chances, what management decided was to keep liquidity close to 15% of the assets. We decided to keep more on the liquidity. We know it has a bearing on the net interest margin, but it is completely fine. And as per our guidance, we are slowly reducing it to 10% the liquidity as per the asset. So all these factors have helped us sail through comfortably and hold to our leadership position in the Indian market. Right. You talked about the industry. So if I give you view on how the industry is placed in talking about particularly about MFI, right? NBFC MFIs, because we need to realize we have banks also serving the yes. borrowers. We have small finance banks. We have NBFCs. Yes. We have all these players, right? Who have entered to be part of the opportunity. Now, if I talk about MFIs in particular, large MFIs are well-placed on the liquidity front. Medium and small MFIs did face some liquidity issues, but uh, thanks to partial credit guarantee scheme announced by finance ministry, they are getting funds. But because of, again, wave two got hit, there are few challenges, but I'm sure the industry will sail through given the the pace of vaccination and economic activities going back on track. Great. So reasonably positive outlook from what you're saying. I mean, it sounds as though it's um, cautiously positive. Is that the way you describe yourself, maybe? Right. And uh, cautiously positive. But we have to also understand that during the COVID time, of course, we are still in COVID, but especially if I talk about wave one, when it took everyone else by chance, even at that point of time, MFIs were able to raise capital. Starting from CA Grameen, right? We did a QIP of 115 million or 800 crores. Mm-hmm. Satya Microfinance received close to $20 million from its parent Gojo based out of Japan. Sinduja Microcredit raised funds. Uh, Annapurna Financial Service raised funds. And we recently heard ICICI Bank has acquired 10% state in Midland Microfinance. So we all keep hearing these stories of equity funding that banks are scouting for acquisition opportunities in this space. So all of these together are really positive sign and it indicates that the microfinance business is here to stay long and contribute to the rural growth story. Okay. So you think confidence is maintained by lenders and equity investors. So that's that's very reassuring to hear. Yes, Um, yes. 
Okay, Sahib, thank you very much indeed. So can you please let people know where they can get to see your work, how they can get in touch with you? Are you on social media? They can connect with me on LinkedIn or they can uh, directly write to me at uh, Sahib Sharma, S-H-I-B, Sharma, yeah. 028 at the rate gmail.com. Okay, fantastic. We'll include links for that in the um, description below. But uh, thank you very much indeed. Uh, really enjoyed the chat and uh, hope you'll come on at some point sometime soon. You've been listening to Let's Talk Microfinance, brought to you by Financial Due Diligence Associates. You may be an investor or lender in financial inclusion, seeking excellence in investment analysis, but often can't find it. Therefore, you need to talk to FDDA, a multilingual consultancy who provides holistic, relevant and concise due diligence. You might also be an impact fund manager looking to penetrate the lucrative French institutional market, but are put off by linguistic and other barriers. Therefore, you should contact Paris-based FDDA, who, with Oxondo, leading French third-party marketer, can give you access to pension funds and insurance companies throughout the Francophone world. To find out more, contact me, Guy Rodwell, on LinkedIn. See you at the next one.